0: Welcome to the Faith in a Fresh Vibe podcast. I am your host, Ro Hattie. Coming at you from Treaty 7 territory in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, this is episode 69. Faith in a Fresh Vibe podcast is a podcast on decolonizing and deconstructing Christian faith I hope you've enjoyed all the different episodes here please don't hesitate to leave a review and share it that's how the word gets out and season 10 this is episode 2 of season 10 is a season inviting authors and their new books each one of these authors has a book that covers or falls within that topic of deconstruction or decolonizing and they're worth picking up Hey, another feature of this podcast, we have added transcripts slowly to all the episodes for accessibility. Speaking of books, if you can't afford every single book, I understand you can request books from your library, your public library, and those get this count towards author sales totals. So they help too. So why not do that? find the substacks or the newsletters of these authors and sign up because that's probably the best way for authors to connect with their readers. You can find my newsletter at rohatty.com. Just sign up on the homepage. You will also get a free ebook by signing up. An ebook from, oh, 2017, I think, that I wrote, a little short 60-pager on anti-racism in the church just some light reading before bed. This episode features Caroline Sumlin. I don't want to ruin any of the details because our conversation not only speaks about her book, but crisscrosses some topics including adoption, identity, belonging, and of course, white supremacy that I don't think we've discussed in this manner on this podcast before. So stay tuned. Caroline Sumlin is on deck. Caroline Sumlin will all be free. Oh, tagline. How a culture of white supremacy devalues us and how we can reclaim our true worth. Whew. Like... Thank God there's a book to unpack the whole title. Like it's all
1: there.
0: <laughs> like it's true. all there.
1: Because <laughs> that title could either. That, You'd be like, yeah. oh, that's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, yeah,
0: I don't get it. White supremacy. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of folks you're going to check out because white supremacy is, is in on the, the title. title. Yes. And then you'll catch all the folks who, and, and there's a lot of folks who are seeking this type of material. But you know what struck me as I was going through your book was the emergence, this is generally speaking, I feel like there's an emergence of public theologians now, Mm -hmm. and they are bringing forth, and and they're around generationally the same, age-wise at least, and they're leading the forefront. You're one of them with this book, public theologians who are coming through with a word on freedom, liberation, mm-hmm. wrapping that within a holistic sphere of faith and life and all the things in between. That's what I thought.
1: Wow. Well, I appreciate that. I've never really considered myself a theologian. Um, the public square, the, you know what I in mean? In the slightest. But I, I, I see I see where you're going with that, and I appreciate yeah. I appreciate that that's what's coming across for you as you have read the book. That's,
0: I feel like theology is changing in the sense, and so I use the public part, because I feel like you think Ivory Tower, old white man uh, sure. or theologians, PhDs, and so forth like that. These are just truth tellers. Well, maybe they're just prophets, but truth-tellers of, of God's reality unto a more liberative world into language that people can grasp. Like, how is that mm-hmm. not <laughs> bringing mm-hmm. something closer to home, Bring truth of theology closer to home? Yeah. I don't know why I brought up theology. It's not a theology podcast. <laughs>
1: I the Lord put it on your spirit. <laughs> okay, sure.
0: As roll as that, <laughs> something like that. Every guest that comes on, I ask them to name the lands that they are currently situated on. So, Caroline, where are you currently situated?
1: I am currently situated on the lands of the Algonquin, and I apologize if I am not saying these names correctly, but the Algonquin, the Siouxan, I believe, um, and the Iroquois um, tribes. Um, And if you want the the generalized area is, uh, and that's just actually a few of many tribes in the Washington DC metropolitan area, but that is where I am located.
0: Washington DC area. Um, I've been to DC once, which is wild. As like a Canadian, I've been to the mall and to all that kind of stuff. And it's yeah. Look, a connection. (laughs) Another connection is uh our books. Yeah. Because I feel that we talk about very similar things, but you but but they're different stories, but they're naming the same evils but in different ways, and so I'm so excited to tease out some of the features of your book. Um, But first off, you, you launched the book in what I, as we spoke off air, I said, oh my gosh, that's the hook, that's the hook, and you had me from the opening chapter. Uh, but you name your reality as a person who are your people of being displaced in in, in some ways uh, through relationship and, and your displacement of family. Um, another question I ask guests is to talk about who are their people. And so your story, as with all folks, is unique to you. Uh, so, Caroline, if I say or ask... Who are your people? How do you draw out that narrative?
1: Yeah. So as an adoptee, that's a hard question to answer because um, I, well, you know, thankful for technology these days, I did do an ancestry um, DNA test. So I was able to find out that um, the majority of my um, ancestry does come from Nigeria and Benin and Togo. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: mm.
1: And then um, another little, the, the other largest, lar- excuse me, largest sliver was actually Portugal, which I, you know, if you know the narrative of enslavement, you're yeah, like. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah somewhere. Yeah. There it is. Yeah.
1: There it is right yeah, there. Time, you know, oh, some, somebody had some relations somewhere with their enslaved people. Um, but um, that, you know, that, that's it's, it's nice to, to see that, but do I have that the ability to answer that question in, well, you know, my my great, 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 whatever grandparents were enslaved in X, Y, Z state and my family came from whatever. Not necessarily, because even though and I will well, I'll say two things, one is my my parents were have never been able to. Um, Find out directly where their ancestors were enslaved from. The, the most that they've ever known was just, oh, you know, my parents moved from um, the Carolinas and they migrated to Ohio. And that's about as far back as my mom can go. For mm. my father, his his mm. family originated in New Orleans and, and and stayed there. um actually. he they never migrated anywhere. so'm I'm, I'm sure you could probably trace enslavement in Louisiana for him. Yeah. But as an adoptee, it's it's hard for me to to feel like I can um, rightfully claim being a part of their their lineage because I'm not biologically their child. So even though I am I'm I'm grateful to be a black adoptee adopted by a black family. So I'm grateful to have grown up in my culture. I still feel almost like an imposter, being like, well, my people are the people from. You know the new orleans or the people from you know wherever my my mother's family originated from and and be able to to claim that same lineage so i have my own personal story of displacement amongst a history of people Mm -hmm. and their entire history is of displacement so it's it's a very um complex internal feeling that i that i i wrestle with and i I don't have any answers for it it's just just there but it's it's a it's a hard question to to answer. But I, I was I will say relieved in a way to see um, the direct African connections of Nigeria and Benin and Togo, because those are three very prominent countries that enslaved people were taken from. Um, so I know it's there. I know that I do have um, enslaved ancestry. And so I know that I um, I kind of confirmed my blackness in, in a way. It confirmed my identity as an African-American woman. Um, So at least I have that, but that's like as far as I, as I'll ever be able to, to take it, you know?
0: When it comes to that tension and all of its different intersections, what went through my mind is the sense of claim. And is there a moment and, and related to this? stories of indigenous identity that a lot of mm-hmm. folks claim but if the community or the tribe or the nation or the people do not claim you then that relationship doesn't work right and so like i was musing around your tension of does your father your mother do the families claim you and would that be the spark or enough, I don't know if enough is the right word, to then inherit those lines and those stories, you know, or do you feel it's like, no, that will always sit in tension?
1: You know, I feel like if I was to ask my parents, and my father is deceased now, but he was, um, he was that like researcher of the genealogy he 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 was a a project man so he had like several different projects and one of them was trying to find out and trace the genealogy he he wanted to make it his mission to find out where his family was enslaved and he wasn't able to find that out before he passed away but whenever he would share with me the information he would share it with me in very much a you context like your I find i found out that your or our like you would use very inclusive language for me mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. my mom goes back and forth and i don't think she does that on purpose i think that's just like her nature she goes back and forth by saying my aunts my grandparents my this my that um and then i'll kind of remind her like well where do i fit in with that and she's like oh yeah i you know she wasn't thinking like she wasn't doing it on purpose She's like, well, you, yeah, you're, you're, you're people too, you know? Mm. Um, and so mm. I, I feel like in their eyes, they probably wouldn't understand why I feel attention. Cause they would be like, well, you, you're just one of us. Like, you're just like, we don't see you any different, but I feel mm. different. And I'll mm. always feel mm-hmm. different in that way. I'll always know mm-hmm. that I don't biologically, biologically belong to my, to my family. I don't look like any of them. You know, I, my mannerisms are different Mm. like everything is like I can they can love me wholeheartedly and I can love them wholeheartedly and and they raise me as their own and nothing will ever change that but at the same time there's nothing that's going to close that that gap that's there for me so I think I I think it's a it's a both and in that tension it's both I, I think I get to celebrate and 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 kind of claim their ancestry and their history because there is a part of me that is a part of that lineage by way of adoption. And I know within the black family and um, the black community, adoption doesn't always have to be a legal adoption. Adoption is just very much a part of our of our culture. We just do it. We adopt each other and, and take care of each other because that's how we are communally. I know that there's definitely part of that there, but I think there's always gonna be a part of me that's like my that's not my bloodline. So I don't feel like I I don't feel like I'm correct and like fully just claiming like that's directly where I came from, because if I directly came from them, I'd look different. I would, I wouldn't be me, you know, but at the same time, if I found directly where I came from within my biological family speaking, I wouldn't feel like I belong there either because I don't know them and I don't have a connection there either. So I just feel like I'm kind of floating in the middle.
0: Mm. Do you feel like you're fractured in between these, these two stories or even three uh, stories or The way to look at it is it's your superpower (laughs) in a way you you belong to two or three yeah or four and and it offers this expansive quality of belonging
1: (laughs) yeah i i see where you're going with that and i i think it's all of it it's
0: all of it do you think when it comes to belonging then your approach to belonging how you and your body belongs In spaces is not only deeply influenced by your formation and fracturing, uh, but it's also your story and what you've experienced. Like you come out on the other end with a knowledge that most people do not have of what it means to belong in different ways, both to yourself and in like communally. Yeah. Like I feel you're an authority on this now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think with all of us, we all have a story and that's in, in my book. That's why I start off with you have your own story or stories that has shaped the way that you see the world. And then we add on society and other factors that kind of prime that and, and mold it. Right. But chances are you have something that has happened to you or around you that shapes you know, and, and that has fractured you in, in some way, um, that then shapes how you perceive things, the lens in which you approach things, and so for me, yes, I would say that mine is 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 the belonging, is the um, is the, the unique tension of existing as a person who knows darn good and well like i low-key wasn't supposed to be here like i really wasn't like if you look at the data Mm. i I wasn't i wasn't planned for which of course a lot of people aren't planned for i get that but you know what i'm saying like i really wasn't planned for i was not supposed to Mm. considering Mm. my biological parents and their circumstances being intellectually disabled adults living in poverty as wards of the state in the bronx new york like i they were not supposed to get pregnant there was an immediate you can't take care of this child what what were you doing like situation all the way to the point where my biological mother was didn't even know she was pregnant apparently it's just rumored but that she didn't know she was pregnant until like maybe her eighth or ninth month like that's a really oh. not supposed to be your kind of situation so yeah. i think when it comes to that feeling the the worthiness piece which is exactly what my book is about the understanding to a deep level of what it feels like to feels so unworthy and to feel so displaced and to feel such mm. a sense of, of not belonging, I think, yes, in, with, my, with my circumstances, I, I, I do have a, I've had to go through it so deeply that now I'm able to, to understand it in a more you know, complex way. Um, but I think everyone has a superpower Damn. that relates to their <laughs> you know, circumstances.
0: Yeah, you're right there. I think every everybody's story, they count, but some go deeper than others. For sure. And when we speak of depth, I'm interested in stories. I'm interested in not sto- merely stories, but the people. I'm interested in the people who walk with a limp or have been to the depths mm-hmm. of what it means to be fractured, displaced, and so forth, and have returned or or have not returned, are returning, returning into a more whole place, a more free place, a more liberated place. Right. You go through pieces and aspects of naming uh, some of the foundational bedrock malformed ideas in our culture surrounding white supremacy mm-hmm. on that, but you also tease out, and I just can't wait, <laughs> like all the different books that this book is going to produce for you, fingers crossed, <laughs> um, of the work, like in the first third of your book, you're naming, like some of them are really recent of like, I was in this place here processing my identity and belonging and, uh, and how I fit in the world. And I had to go through the work to actually come into a healthier or deeper, more holistic embodied place. Um, yeah, that's another book. <laughs> or many books.
1: Takes note. Can't Takes wait.
0: note. Okay, <laughs> wait. Like I'm serious. I'm just I'm riffing off of this uh, idea of superpowers which is which is pulled off of uh Chandra Crane. I'm thinking of it through a lens of ethnicity. Okay. That like multi-ethnic folks have superpowers that we white supremacy will fraction you off and say you're a percentage of this this and this.
1: Right.
0: Whereas you can. We should. I should not fraction myself, but I should look at myself as wholly Japanese. Like I'm fully Japanese, Chinese.
1: Mm, yes.
0: West Indian. Yes. I'm all those things. Right. I'm not partially those mm-hmm. things, right? And when I think of like who we choose to be our family, we're not fraction, or oh, we are in many respects. Um, but there, there's a tool of white supremacy that dictates our belonging. And some of us just have the, because of <laughs> maybe our traumas, but we have these experiences of how to belong out of tough spaces and places and moments and environments uh, in our lives that make us experts. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm, I'm definitely following what you're saying. And I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, you know, I think something that I used to pray a lot was for God to reveal why I had to go through the things that I went through mm. because I yeah. never, never would have imagined that I would be in this place now to, to be in a much more healed and whole place. And of course, I, I say, and I say in my book, it's always a work in progress. It's never like perfect, like I'm fully healed and fully whole. You'll never be fully yeah. on this yeah. side of heaven, but a much more healed and whole place. Um, I never imagined that I would be in this place. I, I really, for the majority mm. of my life, thought I would always be in this dark, um, mm. just depressed, woe is me, The things that happened to me, I suck. My life sucks. Kind of, kind of place. But I would, I would pray and I would say, "There's, there's got to be a reason why you put me through these fires." And 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 for me to to or and and to be even in these fires, and I would ask for him to reveal what that is. And even specific, even specifically about my adoption, like I would be like. You really look at the story of my adoption and it's so specific and unique. Whenever I tell it, people are like, whoa. Like, cause it's, it's not, I mean, there's no typical adoption story. A lot of adoption stories are, are traumatic and have their own special pieces to them. But I don't think I've ever met anybody else that has, that has any other adoptee that said that their biological parents were also intellectually disabled. I know it happens, but it's just not the typical story line. You know, mm-hmm. usually it's, yeah. it's something else. And so whenever I explain it to people, I get that very similar, like, whoa, like, that's deep. That's, man, there's a book in there. Like, I, get, I would get those reactions. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. even before I even thought of writing a book, and I would always say, okay, God, like, the way that this particular fire, the things that, I, that I've been through, even with just this one circumstances, for, for circumstance, forget all the other ones, like, what, what, what was the reason for that? Because that was, that was a lot like, why me? I would, and I would feel like I was almost like I came into the world being punished. Like, that's what I used to feel like, like you, you you didn't Mm. want me here. Like you punished me because like, look at X, Y, Z, right. That, that happened. Um, and I never imagined that I would be on this other side of it, feeling so whole Mm. and so free. And so in, in such a, a a space of healing. Um, and now I'm so grateful for those, for those fires and the refinement that happened there. And I do believe that it equipped me, um, or at least was part of my equipment to be able to write a book that speaks so uniquely to worth in a way that has not been talked mm. about because worth is talked about all the time, right? Self-worth yeah. is a human problem. There's, you cannot tell me there is one person on this planet who has never had an issue with self-worth besides a baby, mm. okay? Their innocent little selves. Um, but then- mm. You know, and and we know we're we're born into sins. There's definitely that that aspect of it. But um in, in the sinful world that we live in, we have a sinful society that has, you know, continued to push that narrative with intention. So we all struggle with this. But I used to think that this was a very like independent struggle. That if I struggle with self-worth, I have to fix it myself. There's something wrong with me. And in yeah, and in yeah. going through what I've been through, I think that's what equipped me. To, to be able to see it in such a unique way that I, I truly do believe will be very freeing for a lot of people.
0: Thanks for sharing. I feel in my own story as you were sharing that I get those moments of you look back of all the, the hard things, right? Mm-hmm. Or the traumas. I don't know if I'm grateful.
1: <laughs>
0: There's definitely um, because you don't want to like it's because it's not right. Right, that we had to go Absolutely. through. Absolutely, it's not right. We should not have had to go through. Nobody grateful should might have be to the wrong word. <laughs> it
1: might have been the wrong or, word. <laughs> but
0: I, I know what you're. No, no, I know what you're. You're saying mm-hmm. I was following all all, all mm-hmm. the way for sure. Um. I'm just like, it's that tension of a lot of people don't choose to do the hard work, and then they get stuck in whichever intersection of vicious cycle you can choose. Um, But it's it's not right. And we live in a world where there are intersections that are producing not right, that are challenging our inherent self-worth, that are... Out to marginalize intentionally certain bodies. Let's pivot and roll into some of those bedrock pieces in our society. You spend you weave throughout the whole book, really naming white supremacy as the bedrock element that is producing all malformed problems, mm-hmm. all of them, but you also drill down into the aspects of self-worth um, and beyond. Mm-hmm. I would like to name a couple of them and just have you expand on, on a couple of them. In my book, I, I spent about two chapters, like the same thing. There's a bedrock problem. It's white supremacy. Let's name it. You have to name it. And then you need to find and name the things that are in your own life, drag them into the light and deal with them. So I sort of did the historical overview of what is produced white or how it came to be. I really valued how you made aspects of white supremacy very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Could you expand on the, the pieces? And, and you had an arc. You, you produce an arc of them, which is really helpful. The one around economics, and I think you're weaving a story, pulling in redlining, uh, Reagan economics. It, it's ironic that I didn't talk about economics being an economist by designation only. Um, and when you went through all that, I was just like, this is fantastic. And uh, I get it. Uh, economics and also you, we've probably one two chapters around beauty or aspects of white supremacy connected to beauty or what is beautiful. Yeah. Share with us those two pieces.
1: Well, I think the, the biggest thing that I wanted to communicate in this book and help everyone understand is the current relevancy of white supremacy, specifically white supremacy culture. We have two white supremacy, white white supremacy culture obviously related because white supremacy culture comes from white supremacy. But the the first distinction it's important to understand is that white supremacy itself is the systemic systems and structures, um, laws, regulations, um, rules, uh, industries that have been created with mm-hmm. whites um, mm-hmm. specifically to um, create, maintain, uphold white supremacy, um, and so I- examples of that are obviously the foundation of our nation being colonization, chattel slavery, the creation of ra- racial hierarchy, that that sort of thing, um, and then what that racial hierarchy, what what those those structures and regulations came from the racial hierarchy, be it housing, education, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that's the systemic white supremacy that most people online or most people in books, that's what they talk about. And they talk about the disenfranchisement of marginalized bodies due to systemic white supremacy and then it stops there. But we also have white supremacy culture. The culture of our society that was, Birthed, so to speak, from systemic white supremacy, because the culture of your society is going to come from your systems. It's going to come from your, from from whoever decides to create society the way that it is. That that's anyone's society. The, yeah. That's anyone's culture. It comes from the that, it, and that's that exactly the DNA. We don't talk about the cultural piece of white supremacy enough, and how yes. being that it is, it, it's our culture because we are um, a society mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of white supremacy. Yeah. So we can't say this is not <laughs> our culture because if our society was built yeah. on white supremacy, thus it created a white supremacy culture. If our society had been built on some other uh, system, then it would be the culture of that system. But it wasn't. It yeah, was built on water. white supremacy. Exactly.
0: It's not in the water. It is, it the, is water. the water. It is
1: the water. We are swimming in it. Yeah. I wanted people to understand the relevancy the just how much it's touching us impacting us how much it's conditioning us um in all these different ways and a lot of times we we separate out something like economics we separate out beauty culture diet culture hustle culture these are these are all segments of our culture that People have been before. I, I mean, before I came along and wrote this book, these are segments of culture that have been critiqued and have been talked about. There's yeah, complete, sure. you know, um, there's books and, and content and coaches and the whole nine. People out there trying to help people understand the toxicities behind these segments of our culture, but no one is talking about why they exist in the first place and where they came from. These are, these are yeah, not yeah, little yeah, yeah. independent. Why specifically when it comes to economics, why were economic decisions made the way they were made? Do you realize that the economic decisions tracing all the way back to the foundation of, and the, in the, the, the creation of the United States of America, economic decisions were made to uphold white supremacy to ensure the disenfranchisement of black bodies, to ensure the marginalization, to ensure the exploitation of the labor, to ensure that white people and there were able to always be at the top. Of course, there's poor white folks. We know that. that, No, we're not saying that. What we are saying is Mm -hmm. that the wealth and the power was only going to be Mm -hmm. able to be touched by white as far as economic mm. um economics is concerned and, and policy is concerned that goes hand in hand right
0: yeah
1: as a result yeah. what culture has that created and it's it's created mm-hmm. it's created many different things within within culture um it's created a hustle culture it's created the the um the <laughs> culture that we have for mm. um the disdain we have for the poor and in the way we connect um immediately believe that black and brown. Is equivalent to being um, poor or less than there's there's so many things with that so it's looking at the fact that these when when we're taught economics in school when we're when we're taught these things we're not taught the truth behind why those decisions were made or we're taught for example um, that after the great depression when um, fdr created the new deal we aren't taught that the new deal was only the new deal for some americans and not Americans so that therefore purposefully black and brown and other um, communities of color that were that were here at that time were purposely left out of that equation so that mm-hmm. they could make sure that that, that hierarchy maintained we're yeah, not taught those exactly we're not taught those details and if we if we look at the timeline of every single economic decision and, and climate that we've been through we can see how upholding white supremacy has always been at the forefront of those decisions. And then we can begin to look and say, okay, now what culture has that created? Why do we respond to things the way that we do? Why, why, do, we, why do we see certain things as a standard, <laughs> for example, when it comes to
0: yeah.
1: um, the American dream or it comes to what we've been told about um, how to succeed or whatever, um, what we, what, how Just we see harder. success all that comes from these systemic decisions and and the, the building of our of our of our systemic culture specifically yeah it, I bring it all the way to present day so we can see that even as things have changed the 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 thread has been the same and as mm-hmm. you mentioned with with reaganomics in the 80s that is we're on the pretty much the heels of that to today Um, And one of the, it's been probably one of the most impactful, you know, economic, uh, cultural creators of our, of our time. And that's really what propelled hustle culture and things like that into place. But again, are we looking at why those economic decisions were made? Well, that was on the cusp of the civil rights era and believing that Post-civil rights meant we're not going to give any handouts to those black folks. They didn't got their wishes. Now they just gonna have to fit, we're gonna have to figure out a way to still keep them in their place and keep them in line. So again, all these decisions that impact every single one of us, no matter what you identify as, it might it's gonna impact you differently if you're black and brown, if you're not black, if you're if you're if you're white, if you are um depending on your gender identity, depending on your uh, religious identities, it's going to impact you differently, but it's going to impact you regardless. See what I'm saying there? That was my goal to help people be able to see just how interconnected and deeply woven everything is. And and it's, I I could go on, but it's the same thing with, you know, beauty and diet culture and, and, and and education system, everything. It, It there's, there's a, there's a, You'll be able to see that common thread through all of it. And you'll have a lot of aha moments when you're reading the book.
0: Can you name, because uh, a lot of folks are going to be Canadians, name some of the, the, the policies you'll name will be the same in Canada, just a different dude. <laughs> but can you name some of the, the Reagan economics uh, economic policies that were put in place uh, around finance, around access to loans, around what, what were the specific ones?
1: Um, the neoliberalism specifically is what was um created with the um with the Reaganomics era mm-hmm. in the eighties. Mm-hmm. 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 And so what that essentially is is a free market economy. So it's changing the way from prior to from the new from the New Deal, which was FDR, which right after the Great Depression in the twenties, all the way up until about the eighties, there was um the economic Keynesian theory. Um am I getting it right? or wrong there's freddy mm-hmm. and keynesian, keynesian? Yeah. yeah um so it's keynesian yeah. which was a little bit more hands on by the government it was a lot more like hey okay we realize that they, we need a we need a safety net we need more government involvement we need more government re- regulation government regulation in private industry um to be able to ensure that things are going um well and, and people are you know a little bit a little bit more humanity not 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 a lot more believe me because even with the even with the more government hands on um regulation there was still a lot of that that was done in a racist manner where black people brown people um elderly uh domestic workers however they could code they could codify the language to basically ensure they kept certain people out of certain situations um still weren't able to take advantage of those economic policies um but it was still a much more hands-on government regulation from the by the 20s to the 80s and then um
0: Housing was one of the main yes, ones. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um,
0: which is the biggest expense for so many. Mm-hmm. But housing was one of, the, one of the main ones. And when you extrapolate that out to all the different um, ways that governments act today in all levels of municipality, state or province, and then federally, the way people can make a connection is to... I, I think it would be easy to think of conservatives politically. The political parties look to cut social services Mm -hmm, or uh public infrastructure and in order to do quote less government or to change hands and push those services or infrastructures into private hands private enterprise exactly and who suffers the most will be poor folks
1: yes we all suffer from it the poor people suffer the most 100 percent um so right as Black people specifically um, were getting their their rights, being able to be have access to public um, yeah. places, be it uh, pools, community centers, things of that nature. Um, that is when it was all of a sudden, oh, we need to we need to privatize this because we have to find a way <laughs> to make sure they don't come, they can't come here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it just costs too much, though, <laughs> and uh, we need less government. So, stops stop the spending, mm-hmm. but. But we can spend on the military until the cows come oh, home.
1: There it is, right there, right. So, and and, if, and that, that that's exactly what they do, right? The language is is going to convince you that it's not about <laughs> yeah. race. It's just we realize that it costs too much, or um or whatever that may well, be. Well, it's
0: so far down the line that I don't know how many people. Th- this is how it is. It's been diluted so much, but the concept is still there that no one knows its source, so they wouldn't know it as a racist policy. It would just be, uh, it's better, it's so ingrained, it's just better for the government not to spend. And that's a conservative policy position, right? Uh, Even though you spend however much, but on a bunch of other things like tax cuts or corporate socialism and so forth. So uh, it's... I think today, most people would not connect the dots, which you, which you have helped to remind us and connect the pieces to say, oh, by the way, all of this emanates from intentional decision-making. And somewhere, some, somebody, maybe the conspiracy theorists got it right, that someone is pulling the strings. It, it, it is by, we should say, design yes. in the manner that policies affect, with intention, people, whether it... Affects them uh, detrimentally, or benefits them, mm-hmm. and it's always funny to see who is on which end of that scale.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I hope I answered answered your question well um, by naming the specifically neoliberalism or free market economy politics of the 80s that are still in place today.
0: That that's it. That one's so good because that one you name it, and people go, huh? Like, in g- generally. Mm-hmm. But when you say, oh, the, the approach to government and what you normally hear in the taglines that America has two political parties, we have more, but how you hear certain parties react to spending mm-hmm. and where dollars should go, that is ingrained policymaking. One of the things I don't like to do, but it would have helped me sell more books and we'll wrap with this is uh, give answers to people. (laughs) Not that you gave answers, but you named what the tenets of white supremacy look like. And then, so the five that you put out there, patriarchy, ableism, capitalism, heterosexism, and racism, and they're all their own things. But when Woven together, they make this fantastic monster called white supremacy. You also then posited pathways by naming what dismantling will look like. So, this is rapid fire. I'm going to give you what dismantling will look like, the five that you included, and you rapid fire us back (laughs) the answers. Oh, boy. Are you ready? Okay, rapid fire. What dismantling will look like? You can just give us a preview Mm -hmm. because then listeners got to buy the book. True that. (laughs) True that, number one. What dismantling will look like for white supremacy? There are five. First one, patriarchy antidotes. The
1: Antidote to patriarchy is a a leveling or inequality between um, masculine and feminine characteristics and traits and people. Um, there is not um, a hierarchy of power that's being abused and exploited. Of course, there are situations where you have to have somewhat of a power hier- hierarchy in certain situations. Like I'm not saying there should never be a leader. That's that's not true. Um, but we're talking yeah. more so about the abuse of power um, abuse, the using yes. of the using mm-hmm. of that power to exploit those that are beneath you. Mm-hmm. So the antidote to that mm-hmm. is not doing that doing the opposite you are all um, right bringing up your 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 you don't have the the mindset even if you were the leader you don't have the mindset that you are the one in control you have the power but you're using your leadership to to build versus destroy
0: mm, mm. okay the church got some work to do here i think most of them just like came to a screeching halt and they're like oh we out
1: listen that's suckers episode <laughs>
0: Oh, it's this one. Yeah, patriarchy. That's uh, a lot of work. Okay, number two. Uh, it gets easier. Ableism antidotes. That's a joke. It's not easier.
1: Yeah. What, one of the biggest things that I need people to understand about ableism is it's not It's not only, it is primarily, but it's not only about disabled bodies and having a, a culture or an atmosphere where disabled bodies are marginalized or um, treated differently. That is the primary thing, of course, um, we, we center our disabled um, family and we ensure that they are never feeling as though their their disability is being um, exploited or it's being um, uh, used against them. However, it's also about just in general, the fact that we all have disabledness in us in some way, shape, or form. We can't be mm, perfect. Oh, we're going to get there. Um, we cannot yep. be perfect. But in our society, perfectionism is like top culture, top characteristic of white supremacy culture. Expected if you're not perfect, you are you are a failure. It's it's either or, right? You're either perfect or you're a failure. That's it. That's the binary thinking mm. right there. So in mm. the antidote to ableism mm. is not this expectation of perfection because we understand that we all do not have perfect ability in any circumstance we just don't we all have differing abilities and a culture that that honors that takes all of our different ability abilities and melds them together to work together not just essentially shaming some for having a different, differing ability or, or, or what they would think to be a disability or not being perfect or not showing up in a specific way and only having a certain way to show up as that standard and basically, um, excluding anyone who can't show up in that way. And chances are the standard that you're expected to show up as is, is not really humane in general. You have to really let go of a lot of your humanity in order to show up the way society expects you to. And that in and of itself, is ableism.
0: Perfection's not beautiful anyway, so.
1: It's not. It's not, but it sure is treated as such.
0: Sure sells. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of selling, capitalism antidotes.
1: <laughs> well, in an anti-capitalist um, industry or world or society, uh, the biggest thing is that we are not using, um, we're not putting profit over people and we're not exploiting people for their labor.
0: Exploitation. That's, that's period,
1: point blank um in in mm. um, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to work okay people like to think oh we're not supposed to work you guys we no. need capitalism blah 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 no I people like to have work. to work working is working is, it can is is supposed to be a fulfilling thing mm. that we're that we're called to do as humans no one wants to sit around idle yeah. um and and we have to work in order to produce our our livelihoods that's that's a given it's when we get to the exploitation of that labor. It's when you, as a person and your humanity, come second to the to the um, profiting mm. that the uh, company mm-hmm. or business or institution or whatever it is that you're working for that that becomes first. That is the issue.
0: Okay, we're getting easier now. Heterosexism antidotes. That was a joke. It's not.
1: <laughs> and this is this one. This one's a touchy one in the church, you guys. But...
0: Yeah, you yelled already. do you, you make it past one? You yelled at four. <laughs> Please. Uh, Come on.
1: In, a, in the antidote to heterosexism is that there is no uh, gender inequality. There's no sexual orientation inequality. Um, there is no bigotry around those things. There, is no, there are no... Uh, Oh my brain just just uh, went, it went away. Uh, there are no uh, gender specific roles and um, the mm. expectation that one gender has more of a place or more power than the other gender or is more important or that the characteristics kind of going back to patriarchy as well um the characteristics of um, of said, Well, first of all we understand that there's no specific gender characteristics there are masculine there's feminine feminism feminine traits yes but it's not specific characteristics to a gender and we get rid of that we understand that both men women non-binary trans whatever all carry masculine and feminine traits within them we all do there's that so it's it's the it's getting rid of this idea that in order to be a certain gender, you have to have these certain traits and characteristics, mm. and that's what makes you who you are.
0: Culturally defined traits the, and characteristics, yes, yes. too. Thank you for that yeah. uh, clarification. Mm. Mm. Last one: racism antidotes.
1: Mm. <sighs> you guys, I just because because as a you know as a as a as a black person, this is this is the one that is is just so near and dear to me. And, and the, the biggest, the, the most important, I mean, uh, um, antidote to racism is the, de- the destruction of anti-blackness period point blank.
0: Mm. Stuff.
1: And, uh, we need to understand that anti-blackness is everywhere. It is the root. It is where white supremacy comes from. Um, and every single thing that I've, that I've talked about in every single industry and all that stuff, it really, the root is, is, White supremacy, but the, but that but it's anti-blackness. It's 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 anti-blackness because of whites, of using white supremacy because of anti-blackness. That has to be destroyed. That has to be eradicated. Mm. Uh, that's 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 the antidote. <laughs> that's it.
0: you mm. mm. do that, the whole thing got to go. And
1: I and I will say, and uh, also the the um, in when you destroy anti-blackness, you ensure that whiteness is not the standard. And that is, mm. that is the other thread of my book, Poof. that in all arenas we have been yeah. taught that whiteness is the mm-hmm. standard, the standard of all of it. The <laughs> standard of intelligence, yeah. the standard of excellence, the standard of success, the standard of beauty, the standard of speaking, the standard of mannerisms, the standard of music, whatever.
0: Mm. You Mm-mm. name it, Mm-mm.
1: whiteness has been placed as the standard. And that is what white supremacy <laughs> culture is. So.
0: You cannot destroy
1: anti-blackness without also destroying the idea of whiteness being standard,
0: period. Whiteness is like, uh, look how far white mediocrity can take yes. you. I don't know why that just crossed my mind. Because it's, it because so it's
1: what it is. It's what it is. It's false meritocracy. Mar- <laughs> Lovely.
0: Oh, man. Whew. All right. Fire. Would you trail us out? And, and I say take us to the break, but no. Take us to the outro and leave us with a word on finding our freedom.
1: Mm. The biggest thing about finding your freedom is understanding that in order to do so, you have to dig up the root. Mm -hmm. We have to stop attempting to to heal and to find freedom by chopping off a branch of a deeply rooted tree that is rotten. Oh, boy. You have to dig up the roots, and it's not like this beautiful, just like pretty process where you can just go and it's kind of like I'm just looking up the roots there. Yeah,
0: look at it's on Instagram. You can watch me do it. It's not that. It It is Mm.
1: a truly worth it, difficult, beautifully ugly.
0: Yeah. process. Ugly is it better. Yeah. Beautifully yeah. ugly mm. because
1: beautiful is going to come mm. from it. Just like the Lord, oh, the Lord one. makes beauty from ashes. And in this same mm. sense, he will make beauty from these ashes in your journey to finding that freedom. Um, but you have to be willing to do the work. And my book is, is, um, sorry, my book is designed to to give you a few tools to help you in that work. I don't claim that my book is the tool. There are there are going to be other books you'll need to read. There's going to be therapy that you may need to get, group sessions that you may need to. Do journaling meditation Man, you gotta yeah right i mean i can't mm-hmm, i'm not going to mm-hmm. speak no absolutes over people's lives but yes you you should but you know
0: <laughs> every grown-ass adult needs therapy yes That's but but absolute. also therapy yeah, is
1: it. unfortunately not as accessible as it should be so i can yes, understand yes
0: and that ain't right i can
1: understand why there can be you know i don't want anyone to ever feel like well i can't i don't have access to therapy so therefore i am eating. yeah you're yep. not it's just going to take a, a little bit more time and, and effort on your part until you can have access to that
0: therapy Mm. but um, that's a good word
1: that's why in my book there's journal prompts that's why um, if you pre-order my book you will actually Mm -hmm. get um, a couple of awesome bonuses as well so the bonuses are Mm. a um, um, all of my journal prompts that are at the end of every chapter are put together in one document for you with space to journal um, so you don't have to flip back and forth or buy a new mm. journal or something like that. So I, I provide that for you. And it's aesthetically pleasing. It's it's cute. Um, it's nice for for whatever gender you identify as. Um, and uh, there's also a book, book club discussion questions that I am giving everyone who pre-orders that will also help you really dig deeper into the material. Because I know that it's not something that people can just jump in, like, have therapy tomorrow all the time. I wanted to make sure that people felt like they were getting yeah. as much out of the book as they possibly could. I'm hoping mm. to be at least like half of the tools in your tool belt with this book. Um, and, and, and hopefully you will gain revelation as you're reading about what some other tools can be. Um, but if you're willing to do the work and you're willing to surrender it to the Lord and, and allow him to, to take those ashes and turn them into beauty as you're doing this deep work, freedom um, freedom is yours.
0: So. Mm. Deep breath. <laughs> Exhale. So...